Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. So, Father, we want to thank you for the amazing day yesterday as we think of all that Christmas represents, your tremendous love sending your son into the world for us. And not only that, Lord, uh, the fact that you were willing to come and be locked in a human body uh, is amazing. And we thank you, unless you were born, Lord, there'd be no way you could die and take care of our sin situation. So, Lord, we just thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we come to open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. You're the teacher. I pray you would take these words, breathe on them, make them alive. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us, each of us, to receive that part of Matthew 3 that we need to receive and put into action in our lives. So, Father, we thank you, and we come with an expectant heart to see you and meet you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, yes, away we go. Matthew 3. Now those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean his threshing floor, and he'll gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, from the way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, 
and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so, basically, as I'm looking at Matthew 3, uh, there were kind of six distinct parts uh, that spoke to me. Uh, and we're going to look at them. So, number one, uh, we are called to confess our sins. But not only to confess them, but we are to repent of them. Second, real repentance is demonstrated by a life change. Something has to change when we repent. Number three, we need to realize that when we die, we're either going to go to one of two places, either heaven or hell. There's no in-between. Number four, uh, Jesus will baptize us in the Holy Spirit if we're willing to let him do that. And number five, uh, God wants us to expand his kingdom on the earth. And last, number six, we need to develop a love relationship with the Trinity. Okay, there we go. Great points. Uh, I think that are in this chapter, and uh, let's unpack them. Okay, number one, uh, we're called to confess our sins, not just uh, to do that, but to repent. Uh, look at Matthew 3. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6, okay? Here's 1 and 2. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then uh, 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. As they confessed their sins. So the whole aim, John the Baptist was sent before Jesus to prepare people's hearts so that when Jesus arrived, they were ready to respond to the message that he was going to preach. And it says, basically, uh, they came out to the river. And as they did, they confessed their sins. They confessed their sins. So confess means to own up to something. To own up that I did something wrong, i.e., I lied. The Holy Spirit can fix me that I lied. And I confess it to God. Or it could be not like something that I, I did wrong. It could be something I didn't do. Let's just say as a Christian, I got extremely sloppy. Uh, I don't read the Bible anymore. I don't pray. Then I think we'd have to confess the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. I, I've drifted. I've lost my first love. And I need to come back to you. So just as a side note, I think we need to be very clear. And confession, we confess our sins to God. But if we've hurt somebody else, not only do we need to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, but we also need to go to the person we hurt. Very important. We need to be straight with God, but we also need to be straight with other people. So if you've hurt anybody by your words or actions, then I think we need to own up to that, go to that person and say, I'm sorry. 
I did whatever it might be. <clears throat> so it takes humility to admit we're wrong. I don't think any of us like to do that, to own up, hey, I am the guilty party. It's so easy to say there's always the problem with the other person. But the Holy Spirit will not let us off the hook. If we've done something wrong, he's saying inside, hey, you need to confess that to God and sometimes to other people. But folks, here's where it gets really interesting. And this could be a life change to anybody that will apply what I'm going to share next. Not only does the Bible say we are to confess our sins, it says, what's it say right in the beginning? Uh, three, two, repent. So not only do we confess our sins to God, meaning we own up, yeah, I did that. Repent means, God, I did it, and I am extremely sorry that I did it. And not only am I extremely sorry, I want to do a 180 and go in the opposite direction. It's easy for us to confess, but how many of us really, after we sin, say, I repent, Lord, I am sorry for this sin, and Lord, by your grace, I never want to do it again. That could mean a lot of different things. We go about, we find out I'm gossiping, and the Holy Spirit says, wrong. And instead of just confessing it, Lord, I'm sorry, it means, Lord, I'm sorry, and Lord, help me by your grace, never to do that again. Just grab me, Lord, when my mouth opens and it's wrong, shut my mouth. It could be also, uh, Lord, help me not only to confess uh, that I'm lusting at people or that I'm watching porn, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, wrong, 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 don't do it. It's not enough to say, okay, God, I'm sorry. It means, Lord, by your grace, I am never, ever, ever wanting to do this again. Uh, and that might mean, let's just say pornography, which seems to be a major issue in the world, not only the world, but in the church. That may mean uh, I have to put some guards on my computer. It can mean uh, that I need to get an accountability partner. I have a fellow that has asked me to be an accountability person for him. And if anything's wrong, I'm going to know it it'll be sent directly to my phone. So, you know, it's easy to confess. And in your life and my life, I believe would radically change if we said, Lord, I lost my temper. I blew up. God, please, I don't want to do it again. Give me grace. Do you see the difference? I believe our life would change radically. Any of us, if we're, we're dead serious about sin and not only saying, Lord, I did it wrong, but Lord, please, I don't, by your grace, want to do that ever, ever again. Okay, so that's number one. We need to confess sin when the Holy Spirit shows us, and not only confess it, but repent and say, God, I am sorry. Help me by your grace never to do it again. Okay, that's number one. Number two, real repentance causes a life change. Look at verses seven and eight. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, this is John, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. 
bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, there's got to be a change. I can't just say, Lord, uh, I accept you as my Savior. And that maybe could be a danger even on a, a Sunday morning. People come to the altar. You know, we give the invitation. Oh, I want you as Savior, but I, I don't want you as Lord because I still want to call my own shots. I want to do what I want to do. Uh, and if there's not a change, a true change in the heart, you have to ask the question, has that person or even have I truly had a born-again experience? So important to realize that. Uh, and you might say, okay, uh, bear fruit. That's what it says here. If we have real repentance, we'll, we'll bear fruit. Well, what's the fruit look like? I believe if a Christian is genuinely born again and seeking to follow the Lord, here's the fruit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, 23. Okay, here's the fruit. By the way, this fruit is supernatural. It's not something that you can do by your own sweat or my own sweat and my own abilities. No, no, no. This is what the Holy Spirit produces when we yield to him. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and I'm just going to say supernatural before these. The fruit of the Spirit is a supernatural love, a supernatural joy and peace, a supernatural patience, supernatural kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, supernatural gentleness, and a supernatural self-control. Uh, I believe if we don't see these beginning to manifest, I'm not saying in full bloom because <clears throat> when you're a babe in Christ, you know, it's like a toddler. They, they begin to walk. They fall on their face. Uh, they don't get a free walk right off the bat. But something has to change. Uh, there should be definitely some indicators, even though they're not perfect yet, uh, that they are moving in the right direction. And John said to these Pharisees and Sadducees, oh, you're coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing the outer act, and and I can baptize you. But folks, if there, he said, if there's not a change inside in your heart, you're a bunch of phonies. And I love John the Baptist. Uh, he 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 didn't um, didn't have fear confronting people, and particularly these guys. And if you look at the issues that Jesus had with the Pharisees and Sadducees, you can see why John was tough on them because they they came off all holy. And on the outside, but inside, he said, you're, you're like, you're dead. So very important. And this is one way to tell whether we have really given our life to Lord. These fruits need to begin to be made manifest in your life and mine. <clears throat> okay, number three. We need to realize that it's important to repent and give our life to Christ because the Bible is very, very clear. There are two spots we can go to when we die. That's everybody on the screen. Uh, that's everybody out there in society. Uh, everybody that attends Fusion Church is going to be in one of two places, either a heaven or hell. We uh, do not believe there's a purgatory. We don't believe there's a middle road, uh, a holding ground, per se. No, there's one or two places. And by the way, this is not just John Cook throwing out, well, let me give you my two cents here. This is literally what the Bible clearly says. There's no doubt whatsoever about these two distinct places a person can go when they die. So let me give you a, a couple references here. 
if you, well, I, I, there's not going to be time to do this uh, for you to flip over, but let me just give you these. You might want to write them down. Uh, so Matthew 5 and verse 22, Jesus said this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever shall say you fool shall be guilty enough to go into, and here it is, the fiery hell. The fiery hell. By the way, it seems to me that Jesus, if you look at the Gospels, has more to say about hell than he does about heaven. Very interesting. Um, Matthew 10 and let me get this, Matthew 10 and verse 28 says this. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, that's God, who is able to destroy both soul and body, where? In hell. Uh, another Reference, Matthew 25, Matthew 25, and verses 41 and 46. Jesus talks about uh, things wrap up, and he talks about sheep and goats, and the sheep are those that love Jesus. They're the ones that are going to go to heaven. Uh, the goats are, are basically going to go to hell. They're on the left-hand side. And Jesus clearly says there's a distinct demarcation. You're going to be one place or the other. Uh, he says this about those that have not accepted him. This is Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what I believe the Lord is clearly saying here um, is there is an actual hell, an actual hell. People think, well, is it fire and flames? You know, am I going to be in a, a fiery flame with this body? Um we don't know. The Bible's not clear. My hunch is I don't think it's a literal flame. I think it's an internal restlessness, uh, an internal emptiness, a eternal separation from God. If God is love, joy, and peace, well, then hell would be the exact opposite. And the heavy-duty thing about this, from what we see, is it's eternal. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It doesn't stop, which should motivate us to want to share the good news to people. And again, the spirit has to lead us on how to do that. Not that you have to take a stick and beat everybody, but I think we need to be aware that when we're interacting with people, every one of these people has an eternal soul and that eternal soul will be in one place or will be in the other. So Jesus is very clear. He says there is an eternal hell separated from God. But by the way, he also says uh, there is an eternal heaven. Uh, and if you look at uh, John, this is John. I got so many markers here because there's so many scriptures. In John 14, 1 to 3, he talks about here's heaven. Jesus says this, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house, there you are, heaven, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, where's that, heaven, there you may be also. And a little snapshot of heaven, the Bible doesn't say a lot about it. But we do have this in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3 and 4. This is the last book of the Bible. I heard a loud voice. This is John speaking from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He'll dwell among them. That's the presence of God. That's heaven. He'll dwell among them. And they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. Here it is, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So if you have tears now, they're not going to be in heaven. Uh, he will then no longer allow any death to reign, okay? We die once, that's it. You're not going to have to die again. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Hallelujah. You only get through this one shot where there's tears and pain and suffering. He said, basically, in heaven, these things pass away. And then he says, I make all things new. <clears throat> That's more the negatives. Um, no pain, no suffering. But I think if you want to know what heaven is, in essence, it's being in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's being bathed in that love. If you want to know what heaven's like, I think, basically, three things are going to happen. Number one, God's going to love us in ways that are going to blow our brain. And not only is God going to love us, because we're going to have a knee-jerk reaction and want to love him, praise him forever. And we're going to be loving each other. So it's going to be cool. <clears throat> Some of you folks on the screen, uh, someday we're going to be up there and we're going to be having an amazing time. And, and I believe we're going to be able to look back on the earth. It'd be kind of cool. Hey, I remember the days when we were at Fusion. <laughs> it, it's going to be something. So just know, very clear, uh, from what we see in the scripture, two distinct places, we need to ask the question, do I know for sure where I'm going to go? That's a big deal, not only for us, but for our loved ones, the people we work with, uh, you know, the neighbors, the bank tower, whatever. And, you know, basically, it's knowing I've sinned. I can't fix my life up. That's what Christmas is about. God sent his son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, that he absorbed our sins into himself. And a Christian is somebody who says, thank you, Lord. You did for me what I could not do for me. And in gratefulness, Lord, and thanks, here's my life. Take me, use me. Does it mean we're perfect? No, we're going to drop the ball at times, but it means deep down in our hearts, he's number one. He's calling the shots. You and I are not. Okay. Number five, <clears throat> Jesus wants to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Okay. This is, if you look back, we're bouncing all over the place here. Matthew 3 again. Matthew 3, okay, and we're looking at verse 11. Uh, <clears throat> basically, 
John is making a statement at Jesus' baptism. He says this, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not fit to remove his sandals. But here's the key verse. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what's it mean? Um, when I was baptized as a child, I, I'm told I was brought to church. And, and in the Methodist church, this is what I did. We didn't have this nice little pool that we have in fusion. Um, they just took water and they they put it on my head. Uh, basically, uh, when we baptize at fusion, you see literally somebody's put down into the water. They are immersed into that water, not a little drop. I mean, they're put down there, and baptized means literally to be immersed in, uh, to be filled with. Um, so the, one of the greatest illustrations for me personally is, is this. I think many times Christians live and die, and they don't realize who actually lives inside of them. When we're truly born again, we talked about that. When we've given our life to, to the Lord, at that point, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He's not a force, a thing. It's an actual personality. The third person of the Trinity lives inside of us when we're born again. Some Christians literally live and die and don't get that, that the person's in us, the Holy Spirit. But get this, a lot of Christians, oh, okay, they know the Spirit's in them, but they've never allowed the Holy Spirit to have full control of their lives. So if the Spirit who's in them, who can be, you know, it's almost like the Holy Spirit's inside, and he, he's like sitting there, but he's cuffed. It's almost like the Holy Spirit saying, would you let me out? Let me let me free. Give me give me the ability to walk through you. Give me the ability to talk through you. Give me the ability to touch through you. Uh, the picture I get if you've ever had like a Coke bottle, and if you've uh, you know shaken it up a bit, you know sometimes you drop something or whatever. Don't even know what happens uh, when that happens, but you find out quickly because I've done that. Drop something, or whatever. And I take and I pop the little top off that bottle. It just, it just, it just bubbles on up. That's what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love that picture. It's it's the way that soda was locked away. It's not locked away. It just, and Jesus Himself says, "Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water." The water isn't all dammed up. The water, it's free. So when John is saying Jesus will baptize you with the Spirit, he's saying that the Holy Spirit in you will have a liberty to be able to work in and through your life. That happens when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, you represent the Father, the Son, you live in me. I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to quench you. You have full control of my life. When did that happen in the early church? It happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. 
the day of Pentecost. Here it is. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as of what? He said, I baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. Fire represents, it could be a cleansing, but more maybe than that, it could represent fire as a power. Okay. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves and rested on each of them. And here's the key word. And they were all what? Filled, or another way of putting it, they were controlled. To be filled means somebody else is taking control of my life, okay? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. My favorite book in the entire Bible is the book of Acts. Because after these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, when they gave him a freedom to speak through their, li their lives, through their actions, through their words, when the Spirit was loosed, the supernatural takes place. People are supernaturally convicted of sin, and thousands come to the Lord on the day of Pentecost and other days. Not only that, we begin to see signs and wonders and healings begin to supernaturally take place after they're filled and baptized with the Spirit. They made a major impact on that world because of the Spirit. And it says this in Acts 17, 6, uh, these men turned the world upside down. Did they do it in their sweat and their effort and their smarts? No way. They turned their world. And folks, by the way, you and I will turn our world upside down when we're filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, and we give him the freedom that he wants. He won't force it on us, but when we let go and turn him loose, amazing things begin to happen in our lives. Okay, <clears throat> number five, as we're beginning, let's see how we're doing here. Yeah, okay, we're hanging in there. Number five, God wants to expand his kingdom on the earth. Uh, again, we're back here, bouncing back to Matthew 3. And if you remember right in the beginning, as we started it, got to get these pages back. Okay, um, Matthew 3. Uh, again, it says here, now in these days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, "Here's the here it is, repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, God's kingdom is going to be rushing in. The kingdom's a big deal for Jesus. Uh, we all know it. Uh, it's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's in Matthew 6 uh, and verse 9. It, and Jesus says this. They ask him, okay. This is how you need to pray, disciples. Back the disciples back there, but also he says this to us. Here's the way to pray. Pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the Lord says you start to pray. Remember who you're talking to. You're not talking to space or, or, or air. You're talking to your heavenly Father. But notice, after that acknowledgement of who God is, the first petition that Jesus said should be on our lips is the next one. Pray this, 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's that's the prayer. We are to be praying, God bring heaven to earth. Now, what would that look like? What would that look like in your life and my If we really were serious and we say, God, use me to bring the kingdom of heaven, then I think we would begin to do what Jesus did because that was his aim, to bring the kingdom from heaven to earth, the reign of God. And basically, uh, that would look like Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Notice this, Jesus literally is baptized with the Spirit. When you're baptized with the Spirit, we should be doing what Jesus did, but look what he did. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So if we're going to bring the kingdom, we have to carry the gospel, the good news that we're talking about here at Christmas, that Jesus was born, he died, he was resurrected, and he can change your life if you trust him and if you yield your life to him. So if we're, we're bringing the kingdom, we're going to share the gospel with people. Number two, Jesus said this, he sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Guess what? Our Freedom Conference is all about. A lot of people literally are captives. They're, they're in bondage. We've seen it in the freedom, bondage of all kind of past hurt, past sin, and they're walking in a sense through life with a ball and chain on their, on their, on their leg, and they need to be set free. Jesus set people free. He set demoniacs that were possessed by the devil. He set them free, and he set others free. So the kingdom comes by setting people free. It says going further, and the recovery of sight to the blind. I believe that God wants to increase the ability to see physical healing take place right in the midst of our church. And I believe as we get closer to the end of time, we're going to see many, many more of signs and wonders and miracles and healings to bear witness to the world that Jesus is not dead, but he, that he is vitally alive and that he can change their lives. Another thing, if we're doing the kingdom, it says to set free those who are downtrodden. Um, I think sometimes people just get down in the dumps. They feel overwhelmed by life. Um, I think uh, in Isaiah 61, 1, there's one more thing that's added on to this quote, and that's basically is to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, you think about it right now in our life. Kathy and I know a lot of people, quite honestly, right now that are brokenhearted. They're going through a little bit of hell on the earth. Relationships that are being ruptured and torn apart. Not only that, uh, financial stress. Uh, you know, health issues, whatever. But people can be basically brokenhearted. They've lost loved ones. They see no hope. And Jesus said, if you're going to bring in the kingdom, preach the gospel, set people free, bind up people that are hurting, take them in your arms and embrace them and love them and pray for them. So folks, that's what it's about. Uh, that's what we've been called to do to bring heaven and to bring it into earth in very tangible ways. How? 
through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And with that, we're beginning to wrap up number six. We need to develop a relationship with the Trinity. If you go to Matthew 3, where we were, it says this. Uh, Jesus, uh, as he is being able to be baptized, it says this in 3, 16. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's no reference in the Bible to the Trinity, per se, as an actual word. It's not, you'll never find it. But here in this passage, you literally see the Trinity. Jesus, the Son, okay, is being baptized, okay, uh, and the dove, the Holy Spirit, the second, the third person of the Trinity comes on the second person, Jesus, and the first person of the Trinity, the Father, says, guess what? This is my beloved son. And it's another time uh, that this happens. Matthew 17. If you remember, uh, the disciples go up with Jesus, three of them, and they're out on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, and I mean, they're blown out of the water because Jesus lights up literally by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and Basically, Peter shouts out, you know, not knowing what to do. Hey, we'll make three tabernacles. This is really amazing. Uh, and it says this in uh, Matthew 17, 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice of the cloud says this. This is my beloved son. God saying this to his son and to those three disciples. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I mean, you could just see the father is is so proud of his son. His son has been willing to come to earth and be locked in a body of a baby. His son has faithfully obeyed him every single step of his life for 33 years. And the father looks down and said, this is my beloved son. I am so pleased with him. And in fact, uh, an amazing statement in John 1.18 it says, Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. Think of the relationship of the Father-Son. It says he's in the bosom, means he's in close, intimate fellowship with his heavenly Father. And they're in amazing intimacy. And I marvel, um, there's an amazing statement in uh, Mark, as we're beginning to wrap up here, in Mark. And it is in basically busy ministry. Jesus is ministering left and right, healing people. Um, and then basically, this is in Mark chapter 1. Uh, the next morning after this amazing busy day of ministry, it says this. And in the early morning, this is Mark 1.35, while it was still dark, Jesus arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. I wish we could have eavesdropped and heard the relationship between the father and the son. I've kind of sometimes just kind of imagine what would they have said? You know, Jesus, father, I love you. 
thank you that you're with me. And seeing the father say, yes, son, I love you too. And so here's what we're going to do today. There was an amazing intimacy between the father and the son going on, not just in their early morning, but throughout the day. And we have been invited into that amazing intimacy with the father and son. The intimacy they had with each other, we are now encouraged to develop with them, to basically have a relationship with the father, to know he's a good father that loves us better than any human father could. We're encouraged to develop not only a relationship with the father, but with the son, to lift him up, to worship him, as we did on Sunday morning, develop that love walk with him. But not only are we to develop a relationship with the father and son, kind of which was modeled by Jesus and the father on the earth, we're encouraged to develop a relationship with the third person, the Holy Spirit. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. At the end, it says this, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and here it is, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You can't fellowship with a piece of wood. You can't fellowship with the wind, but you can fellowship with a person. And God has called us literally to fellowship with the person that lives in us. And I grant you, it's a bit challenging to fellowship with an invisible person you can't see inside. But I believe, and this is my cutting edge, uh, is how can I get to know the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit, basically, if you want to know what he's like, we saw the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That is characteristics of him. Then I began to think the other day, he's the spirit of Jesus. So if you want to know what the Holy Spirit's like, just look at Jesus as he walked the earth, listen to his words, watch his actions, and you'll get to know the spirit. Let me just close with this. And I've used this illustration many times, but it just, it, it knocked me over. Uh, where I went to a couple services with, with uh, basically... Uh, Catherine Coleman, and God used her in miracle services. Lives were being touched. Blind eyes are being opened. The deaf ears are being, uh, you know, opened as well. Uh, people that couldn't walk, the lame began to walk. But at one point, she stopped the service, and it was dead silence in the midst of about 3,000 people. And you could literally hear there was a hush, and there was a presence and Catherine Coleman said these three words that I'll never forget. And they challenged me to get deeper with the spirit. And she said this, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't hurt him. And you could hear it in her voice, the, just the tenderness that she had for the spirit. Don't, don't grieve, don't hurt him. And then she said this, because he's my best friend. Don't hurt him. I've developed a relationship. He's my best friend. And here's the one that knocks me over. And then she said this, and he's more real to me than you folks in the audience. There is something to shoot for in 2024, that we would know the Holy Spirit the way this lady knew the Spirit. 
that we would be open to the Spirit, because the Father and the Son reach us via the Holy Spirit. And if I'm not connected with the Spirit, I'm never going to really be connected to the Son nor the Father. But we need to really develop that intimacy. And if there's anything that I think we can shoot for, everyone on this page in 2024 is, Lord, let me become intimate with you. Father, let me know you more. Jesus, let me know you more. Holy Spirit, let me know you more. Because everything that happens in our Christian life first starts with this close, intimate walk with the Trinity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we're beginning to wrap up 2023. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives, the way you've touched us, the way you've changed our lives, Lord. Uh, amazing. But I just pray for each of us, Father. Uh, that you would just become very, very real to us, real the way you were to Jesus. I pray, Jesus, that we would know you, even Paul, the disciple, even though he, he knew you in amazing ways, always kept crying that I might know him more, more, more. Help us to know you more, Jesus, not just back 2,000 years ago, but to know you now. And Holy Spirit, we, we want to understand you. We want to flow with you. We want to be baptized with you. We want to give you freedom and liberty to work in and through our lives. So Lord, just touch each one here. We pray for both campuses right here in EHT and in the violent area. Fill us with your spirit and not only us, but Lord, the churches in the area, your church in America and your church around the world, that we would be bright living examples of Jesus. And Father, we just pray all these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. God bless you, and go out and change the world. Amen.